welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. My name is DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 19. This week my guest is the romance writer Sue Moorcroft and she'll be telling us all about how she manages to write two books a year, one which is a summer romance and one which is a Christmas romance and her Christmas book is out now. And also Merry Christmas to you because this podcast is going to go out in December. However, as I record, it's mid-November and at the moment there's a massive thing on social media about Twitter which looks like it might shut down. Now, this has come as a bit of a shock. I didn't really realise that was really quite what was happening until I looked at my social media this morning. And I've been on Twitter for quite some years now. In fact, I suppose I could look it up and tell you. However, just take it from me, I've been on there a long time. And of course, like many creatives, I've built up a huge following on there. And um, obviously, I say huge, but, you know, it's big enough. And obviously, there's always somebody that's got more. But anyway, it's, it's a fairly fairly healthy looking account and I I go on there most days and, and have a chat with people that I know you know put a few adverts up for my books and obviously for the podcast and uh, yeah it's it's quite a good place I've always found the writing community on Twitter to be really nice um, and I generally don't get involved in politics of any kind local politics or the, the world thing you know and I keep well out of it however this general thing that the Twitter might be closed down, it looks like it could happen. So, you know, when you're listening to this in December, oh, you might think, oh, that was all a load of rubbish and it blew over. Or, oh my gosh, it did happen. Anyway, whether it happens or whether it doesn't, it's kind of prompted me to have a little chat about social media in general. So here's my thing. Um, I think it's very important that you don't hang all your coats on one hook or put all your eggs in one basket or whichever analogy you want to use I think it's really important to spread yourself across a few things and I know this is very much a thing that people talk about with publishing and especially if you're an indie like me you know everybody says you know one must go wide and at the moment I'm not wide I'm purely exclusive to Amazon because I find I just can't get the other stuff to stick to be honest Anyway, that's another story. However, I am quite wide on social media and I suggest that you do this too because at any point, any of this stuff could stop for whatever reason. And um, although you kind of feel that it's quite safe and it obviously Twitter's been around for a very long time and, um, you know, there's loads of us on it. And I think the trouble with the social media platforms is if you're a creative and whatever creative that you are, you might be selling your you know, you, you might be promoting yourself as a book narrator or you might be an artist or, you know, you're selling craft or you're a writer like myself or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, you build up this thing to, you know, find a community and find other people like oneself so that you have some kind of connection, especially if you work from home and if your creative life is quite a lonely business, as is writing. So it's always good to make those connections and hear other people talking about, you know, or joking about, you know, the, the kind of things that one does in a, in a general day. You know, how much coffee you drink and, you know, <laughs> how many words you've written and all that kind of thing. And it's good to have that kind of connection. However, it goes without saying that the main reason that anybody's on these social medias, you know, as a creative is that you are there to promote your work and to promote your, your persona as well. And um, that's all part of it. And it's fine. So, yes, I'm on Twitter to do that. And I'm on the other ones as well. So and you spend a lot of time on these things. You know, I, I probably do a couple of hours a day and I'm sure other people are the same, probably do more. And it's important that you don't hang your eggs 
in one basket. Hang your eggs in one basket? Well, you know what I mean. That you don't put it all down to one social media platform. Now, I've recently joined TikTok because it's kind of the new kid on the block for bookish things. Uh, and that's going quite nicely. I'm also on Instagram, uh, which I, I don't really feel the time really, you know, a big thing on there. I haven't got a lot of followers. So, you know, if you're on Instagram, do pop across and find me. Um, but having said that, I am on there and I do post on there every day. Mostly I just kick over whatever I put on TikTok and I kick it across onto the other platform. And you can do that quite happily. And I think it's fine and it's a good time saver. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook. But again, I don't really interact on there, but I am there and I have got an account and I kick the stuff across again from TikTok. Um, and, and obviously I am on the, the Twitter and Twitter for me has always been somewhere that I've really connected with other writers. And it's certainly the place where I've always found um, the guests for this podcast. So if it does go um, down the drain, I'll be sad to see it go. However, I am on other things and I will be joining pretty soon um, Mastodon when I worked out how to use it. And uh, just because I think it's very good to have another account. So that's my advice is, you know, as somebody who's been in the indie space a long time, I would say, you know, don't put all your things in one place. Have a few accounts. And even if some of the accounts are quite dormant and you only go in there and have a little look every now and again, or you only post quite infrequently, it really doesn't matter. But it's good to have a presence. Now, my other thing that I'd like to say that I see a lot of people do is they're using different handles across the different platforms. Now, I know in the olden days it was kind of funny and cute if you were at, you know, you had your name for your your social media account and then you had some funny little handle that you wanted invented from yourself. So, you you know, I could be, you know, DJ Bowman Smith at, I don't know, custardcreams.com or some such nonsense. Um, However, I would suggest that that's not a very good idea because it makes it very hard for you to find other people and for people to find you. And at the end of the day, that's what you want people to do. If they've seen your you on, if they've picked up your book, you know, via Amazon or some other place and they think, oh, I could follow this author across social media or whatever. It's very easy for them to find you if the, the name on your book is the same on across your account on whatever social platform that you're on. And I think it's really important that you keep that as the same thing across all the platforms. So if you're starting out or you're going to start a new one, I would go for the I would use your author name as the as the name of the account and the handle, the at thing. And you'll find that with me. I am, you know, DJ Bowman Smith at DJ Bowman Smith on everything. So basically, if you've heard of me, if you've heard of the Bowman Smith thing, you can put it across and you'll find my stuff wherever that is. And I think that's really important, especially if, you know, I mean, I don't know whether this is going to happen. And when this goes out in December, I think it's going to hit on December the 6th, looking at my calendar here. Who knows, you know, if Twitter will still be around when this goes to air. So this podcast is due to go to air on the 6th of December. And it'd be interesting to look back and think, you know, whether Twitter made it through the storm or whether it did in fact fold. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things because nothing stays the same. Things change all the time. And we know anybody that's been in this space a long time, how, how often the, the platforms themselves change for the better or the worse. And, they, you know, if you haven't been on a platform for a long time and you go back in, you think, oh, gosh, this all looks different now. 
and it's all a whole new ball game. You almost have to relearn it. I know I did when I had a break from Twitter some years ago and I hadn't really been on there for 18 months. But anyway, that's another story. So this is my advice. Keep the same name. You know, use your author name across all your platforms. Don't have some funny little handle thing that's something else just to be, you know, because it makes it very difficult to find other people. And I found this with you know, when I've been looking for an author and you put in the name and it's it's pretty hard to find them if they're using a different handle. So that's my advice. And I would be on definitely more than two platforms so that whatever happens, you've got a fail safe and you can just move across and, you know, it, it gives you more fluidity within your marketing and within your your author space. So there we are. So a little bit of a chat about that. So that's what I've been thinking about this week. I'm thinking about social media and how to cope with it all. Anyway, happy days. Uh, anyway, come along and meet um, Sue Moorcroft and she writes some Christmas books and they are fabulous. So if you're not in the Christmas mood yet at the beginning of December, well, you know, have a little listen to this because Sue and I will be chatting about Christmas. We'll be talking about her new book, White Christmas on Winter Street, which is out now. And I think it's on offer. So do go along and have a look at, look at that. If you're like me and you need to read a little Christmassy something to get you in the mood, that's all for all well and good. OK, come along and listen to Sue Moorcroft and I having a chat. This week, I'm really delighted to welcome Sue Moorcroft. Sue Moorcroft is a traditionally published author and she writes romance and lots of Christmassy books, which I'll leave some links for in the show notes. So hello, Sue, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you, DJ? I'm very good, thank you. Yes, um, busy writing, as you probably are as well. Yeah. And I'm looking at your stuff, Sue. <clears throat> I've got the cough this morning. It's quite early. We've, if our voices are a bit croaky. We apologise. Um, how many books have you written now, then? It's quite, oh. it's quite a few in your stable there, I see. It's, it's a lot. I think this uh, book that's going to come out in October, um, A White Christmas on Winter Street, is my 24th traditionally and then there's been there's been two of those that have had more than one life they've had to be rewritten for different publishers um so if you added if you counted them twice it would be 26 and then there are some novellas that began life as serials so they look like books but they're kind of half a book and then there's a writing guide so but I think I can claim 24 novels yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good going, I think. How long does it take you to write a book? Or is that I like asking how long is a piece of string? Do, um, do you have a uh, formula that you stick to that you think, right, this is it. This is my three months or. Well, it's more of a it's more of a dictated schedule um, because I'm contracted to two books a year with HarperCollins. Avon is my imprint. So I write a summer book, then a winter stroke Christmas book each year. Um, and I'm contracted usually for three books at a time. So I know my schedule, I know my deadlines, and um, all I have to do is fit in the work. But of course, probably you're aware that it's there's more to life than just writing the first draft. Um, I usually, for instance, if we just take my um, my forthcoming book, I had to have the first draft in for that for the end of March this year. And then a few weeks later, I get the edits. Well, I'm already planning another book by then. So I break off planning the other book and I do my structural edits. Then I go back to that book and um, then I get interrupted again for the copy edits and then the proofreading. And then all the time I would have been promoting a, a different book, my, my summer book, um, Summer at the French Cafe, which was my makeup publication. 
So it's kind of a rolling thing and you just, I just know what I'm doing that day or that week um, and all the, you know, promo that goes with an author's life. Um, so you could say that as I write two a year, it takes six months, but it's that that's oversimplification really. Yeah, because I think it all overlaps, doesn't it? And I think whichever whichever camp you're in within the writing business, whether you're traditionally published <coughs> like yourself or you're an indie author like me, there's so many balls that you have to keep in the air. And of yeah. course, we all have to do our marketing and, you know, get get our books out there. No, no matter which camp you're in these days, it's a case of, um, you know, you want to sell some stuff at the end of the day and you've got to get out there and get your face over the parapet, really, <laughs> and not be scared. <laughs> Like coming on here, absolutely. Oh no, I, yeah. I can I can sit and talk. That's within my. That's skills. within your remit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, me too. Actually, yeah, I can talk about writing to writers all day. And actually, this has been such an interesting thing. I'm, obviously, the podcast is quite young, but you know, I've talked to people from all over the world already, and it's it's been fascinating beyond I really thought it would ever be. Yeah, brilliant. So your books you write, you are writing, uh, I'm writing saying that write romance, always romance, happy endings. Uh, it's always, it's always got, I, I, I tend to say they're, they're of um, love and life. So the love story is always a big part of the book, but um, each character, each of the two lead characters have big conflicts to deal with as well. Um, yeah. So if we just take a white Christmas on Winter Street as an example, um, I started from the point that in a in a I, I have this village in my head, and some of my books take place there. It's, middle it's middle dip, in, is it? Middle dip, yeah. Yep. It's in Cambridgeshire, but it's in my head. Yep. Um, there's kind of a space in the map northeast of Peterborough, so I filled it up. And because um, <laughs> just because you can, <laughs> just you can, and, and really. Can. It, if listeners are interested, they can go to my website, suemorcroft.com, and find the Middle Dip map, and you can click on the markers, and it tells you who lives in which houses. From, from which is great fun. I, I have, in fact, done it, and it is great fun. So it, do, do, have a, do have a look, because it was, was quite fun. And, and quite uh, fun. I love that area of England. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah very much Middle England in, in all senses, really. So, um. So in a previous book, there was a secondary character who'd fostered a lot of children. She lived in the village and had fostered a lot of children. By then she was 90 and she was known sort of pretty universally as Nan Heather. Um, and I decided I wanted one of her foster children to come back to the village. So that was kind of the spark. But then I have to give the foster, the child who was fostered, a suitable background. And so she had an alcoholic mother and her favourite part of her childhood was in Middle Dip and it was the only time she got a really good Christmas of her childhood. And she's done really well for herself materially, but then when she's let down by someone she cares for, one of the, the one of the people you could say she cares for most in her life, who was also fostered by Nan Heather, Freddie, um, she decides to come back to the village and restore an old house. Um, so there are some bigger issues then of what means family, what means what or what does family mean for you? Does it have to involve blood? Um, I came to the conclusion, no. No, <laughs> I think you're right. Is, yeah. Is what yeah. You make of it. Um, and then Daz is the uh, or Dara is the um, the the hero. And his big conflict is that his best friend's in prison. And he's not the sort of man you would have expected to go to prison. He was a bank manager. 
and he committed a fraud, but he justified it because he was helping somebody else. It wasn't for him. But of course, the law doesn't see it that way. Uh, and so he's in prison and it's really thrown Daz into a terrible place with trust issues. And he's trying to do his best for the, the prisoner's wife and child. And that's taking up kind of a lot of his time. And so these are bigger issues. And like all the all the the plight, if you like, of prisoners' families bubble to the surface uh, and friends, I should say. Um, and how different, so different people react to him differently. His wife is, if not forbearing, at least she doesn't completely abandon him. His son doesn't want to talk to him. His father doesn't abandon him, but he's ashamed to leave the house because everybody in the village. And Daz is kind of in the middle of this, trying to help all these people. He's known since birth, really, because he's somebody who's lived in the village all the time. And so although throughout the book, Daz and Sky are falling in love. There's an awful lot more going on, but real life is like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just boy meets girl. It's it's got the whole whole of life is there within yeah. within our relationships as as yeah. real life is. So yeah. I have to ask you this then, Sue, because I see you have lots of Christmas books. Now I don't read a lot of romance, but I always read a few Christmas books romance right. at Christmas I don't know yeah. what it is perhaps I'm in a softer mood at that time of year yeah. and I always like to get a few stacked up I'll definitely read some of yours when oh, the season you. comes up because uh, I do love that time of year do you find a lot of people like a Christmas book or do they read the Christmas book at any time of the year just because they like Christmas or do you think like me I think oh I want to read something seasonal I want that love story I want a bit of snow I want I want I don't know, a warm, fuzzy feeling like I would watch some soppy movies as well, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it for many readers. Um, my book has just been sent to some uh, book bloggers, etc., and they're posting about it on social media. And they're saying, oh, this is getting me in the festive mood. But then other people chime in and they might say, oh, no, I won't allow myself any Christmas books till the beginning of December or till I begin my Christmas shopping. Or it is very much all part of the experience. Some people are author loyal, so they would read what I write yes. if I yeah. about Easter or Timbuktu or Poppy Day or, or whatever which is very nice of them. Um, and some, yeah, they, they will just read, they just fancy it. They need something uplifting and they see Christmas. Perhaps they're feeling a bit low. Uh, and to be honest, I read Christmas books at any time, particularly from authors who I particularly like. There are some American authors who write really good yeah. Christmas novels. And if I see one that I haven't read or, or listened to because I like audio as well, then I'll just get it. Um, and I don't care. Maybe not in sort of January, February, when I'm a bit Christmased out, but yes, yeah. any other time, any other time. And some of them are kind of, um, it, it's more of a, a winter experience, like Let It Snow. Uh, it, although Christmas was in it, it took place over a bit of a larger, a longer period. Yeah. Um, and the action went to Switzerland as well as being in Middle Dip. So that wasn't marketed quite so much as Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And actually that had a longer tail. It sold well into January, particularly in some of the other snowy countries like like uh, Germany. 
Yeah, it's well. I I love a I love Christmas books, and I do tend to read them, sort of the end of November through December, and I'll read right through the whole Christmas period, and I'll just yeah. keep picking up another Christmas book, another Christmas book, because normally I read like you know thrillers. And I read everything really, dark yeah, stuff yeah. and all sorts of stuff. But at that time of year, I think it's the only time of year. I don't read summer books in the summer, but I definitely no. read Christmas books at Christmas, which is bizarre, but but delightful. Yes, absolutely. Um, because this is the Words and Pictures podcast, too, I'd like to ask you about your um, book covers. How much, as a traditionally published author, how much say do you get in the design? Um, do, do you get any say at all, or or are you able to pick pick designers that you like within the publishing house? How does it work? Um, I'm cer- I certainly don't have the pick of the designers. Um, some covers are done in-house. A couple of them have been. Usually the illustrator is freelance and then the design team takes the illustration and creates the entire package, the front cover, back cover, spine, yeah. the fonts, you know, the, the finishes like foil or what's that shiny thing called? I can never remember if it's called spot UV or UV spot. I think it's spot UV, you mm-hmm. know, when they just highlight bits that are, yes. that are shiny. And yep. we used to have glitter, but that's been abandoned as environmentally unfriendly right yeah. now to get a good um, substitute. But um, I don't have that much say. The way it usually goes with Avon is that we might have a very general discussion. They might say something like, um we we'd like uh like 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 a home in the sun is set in malta mainly they wanted malta on the cover it's it's not mainly in malta at all it's about 40 percent in malta and 60 in england but they wanted malta on the cover and actually i was in malta a couple of weeks ago and it was number one in the paperback chart which was very nice and had been there most of the summer i love malta actually do you? Yes. Well, I, yeah. I lived there for several years as Did a child. Yeah. So it's like home to me. Uh, and I'm I'm a bit of a Malta bore, to be honest. So anyway, they, they asked, did I have any Malta photos? And they actually, um, the houses on the front, one of the, the one in the foreground is pretty much based on one that I lived in. It's not precisely the same, but it's, you can see it. I can see it. Um, another time they'll just say, well, we're, we're thinking about a park scene, like for summer at the French Cafe, we're thinking about a park scene for Christmas Wishes, which was between Middle Dip and Sweden. They said, we think we're going to go with the village on the cover. So I do have a chance to input at that point, um, although they do have the final say in everything. And then I get a pencil drawn rough to look yeah. at. And for instance, with a Christmas gift, I can't remember the exact picture on the cover, it was the village, but I, I said, could we have something musical in there? Because it's all about a rock school, uh, you know, a school of music and, and drama and dance, which is just outside the village. Could we have maybe students with guitars on their backs or something? And they thought that was too difficult to represent, but they put in a busker and took out whatever it was I hadn't liked. So I have that small and like, I don't like this shop sign. And she's got the new book in uh, for an Italian island summer for summer 2023. They've depicted the heroine and they've shown her left arm. She's in like a summer top. And I said, ah, oh, yeah, but she's got a sleeve of tattoos. Is there yeah. some way of putting a little tracery? And so they make those changes. They tell me what's possible and they make those changes. And then next time I see it, it's all coloured up and finished at the front cover. 
Yeah. Uh, and I might say, oh, can we have this bluer or, or something? You know, can we have this a bit less that? It is collaborative, but they have by far the leading yeah. role. Yeah. They are very good. You know, I have stuck out. They look nice. They look nice. They yeah. are. We, we've got a new look for the last couple of books. Yeah, the Summer Cafe, Summer at the French Cafe. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, they've like rebranded the, they look the, slightly more modern and more up to date don't they that's right, yeah, yeah, you need to follow yeah. The market. yeah 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 exactly good. you do i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean in some ways it's quite nice because you haven't got that big problem to worry about i think as an indie author i mean yeah. i do my own covers because i'm sort of art trained and and i right. used to i used to do i used to do the illustrations for you know you know, like you said, that that was freelance. That was sometimes yeah. that was me, <laughs> oh, and right, I really? still see some of my stuff floating about. And I think, oh, I did that little figure or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. But anyway, that's another story, probably another podcast, you know. And I quite like to do them, and I'm capable of doing them. But it is a massive, a massive undertaking because you you have yeah. to do everything and make all the decisions. And probably sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should just outsource this, which would be ridiculous, but. You know, it is quite nice because you can just say yay or nay and they can make a few changes and you haven't got, you know, you can just concentrate on the writing, can't you, which is brilliant. Well, um, so is when you have also, your... Sorry, I was just going to say there's kind of the objectivity thing, but mm -hmm. um, sometimes to get a fresh idea about... It's like when you write it, write the book and then you send it to an editor, somebody puts objective eyes on it and says... Yeah. You've told me this four times. Well, that seemed reasonable to me when I was writing yeah. it. But now she's yeah. pointing out the yeah. readers only needed once and maybe a small reminder. And yeah, I, I can see that objectivity coming into covers as well. Doing your yeah. own covers can be great, but I could see. Yeah. Oh, well, I have people copies. that I send the, the art to, to so they can, like, it's like an edit for me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I send it in yeah. and they go, oh, you want to do this and that's two thing and take the shadow off here or yes. whatever, you know. Yeah. So I have yeah. a few a few art friends that sort of, we sort of swap back and forth because yeah. whatever you do, you need to have a critical friend. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So for your social media, Sue, um, just concentrating again on the images, um, do they give you your, because you've got nice plates and things that you're using within these yes. social media, do they give yes. you that as well so that yes. you've got those to tweet? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they, call, they call those assets. And assets so they, yes they do they tend to be older yeah. with um for instance that uh, the first things i saw for the new book were book trailer videos one square and one rectangular you know so yeah. i would use the square on instagram and facebook and the rectangular one on twitter twitter yeah and it's just oh i don't know 10 seconds 14 seconds it might be yeah. um and then um and it's all it's all using aspects of the book cover which is really clever so on the cover there's a woman up a ladder decorating the house because there's a street competition you know a christmas lights competition in the book and they've made her like wobble uh, yes in, yeah in the yeah and, and the font comes in from one side and things like that so i get that then i get an entire folder of a header for twitter a header for facebook uh some quotes on a on a what you could have played you know an image um, mm -hmm. And they're sized, you know, some are square and some are rectangular. Um, and they have some have different backgrounds. And then they give me a blank one. So I will comb through NetGalley and pick out some mm -hmm. kind remarks and and make, you know, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll do a little thing that set that that is the quote, and then at the top it will say a NetGalley reviewer or NetGalley reviewer 
Sue Airmore, they have just begun to be quite so, I don't want to use the word prescriptive because it, it makes it sound a negative thing, but they've taken so much responsibility for this. Whereas in the past, I used to do some of my own on Canva. Yeah. Um, they've, they've had some slight issue with that. It wasn't with me. Uh, and I think it was publishing at large or my publisher at large rather than my imprint where there's been some case of a publisher being seen to be responsible for something an author did. So yes, now, yeah. if the publisher does it, and I'm very happy because they're better than me, but like I've just done my own bookmarks. Uh, yes. On something yeah. very simple. It's just got the summer books on one side, winter books on the other, and my website and Twitter handle. I just sent it to them and said, are you happy with this? And they said yes, and so I sent it to print. You know all that stuff that you need for the social media these days is, is it's quite a lot of it and and it's ever changing and it's got to be the right size and it's got to look neat and it's got to work and it's quite nice to have it lucky you to have it given to you. <laughs> but also, yeah. then they're entitled to put the Avon logo on. Yes, exactly. I know enough, just about enough about copyright and typesetting and and what have you. I wouldn't pinch their logo and put no. it on. Yeah, something yeah. I made. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm just right. So let's go back to the writing then. Which of all the books that you've written, do you have a favourite child? Do you have a favourite one in there? I think that is literally like asking somebody to name their favourite child. Um, <laughs> I, if one's doing particularly well for me at the time, I feel very fond of it. Um, <laughs> that's so true. Isn't it? Yeah, the one that's selling, that's the one I yeah, like too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, the Christmas Promise was my breakthrough book. That took me from being with a small publisher. I'd made, I'd made the small publisher's charts from the bookseller in paperback, and I'd made the top 100 ebooks. Brilliant. Uh, and that was, you know, they were real standout milestones. Um, and then I went to Avon. Uh, well, I got my agent first, who is fantastic, Juliet Pickering of Blake Friedman, and we really hit it off. And we think the same way and we're transparent with each other. We trust each other. And that just was the turning point. And she sold The Christmas Promise and Just for the Holidays to Avon HarperCollins. And they got The Christmas Promise to number one on Amazon, Kindle UK. So that was just beyond my wildest dreams. That was literally wildest dreams territory. Um, and, and it was at number one for about five days, Christmas 2016. So it wasn't even just a for a second thing, you know. Um, so that was my breakthrough book. And the next contract, that so that contract was just for those two books. And then the next contract uh, was for three books. And my editor pitched to my agent and said, um, so our next aim is to make Sue a Sunday Times bestseller. So I looked at the, the website on the screen and said aloud, well, good luck with that then. But they did. The first book of yeah. And several yeah. more have been, I've been top 20, I've been top 10 in the uh, original fiction chart, top 20 in the um, official top 50. Uh, I've been, you know, um, in the top 100 in uh, Kindle US and I've won a, a national award. And so each book that does something really good for me, I feel particularly fond of <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I've been top 50 in Germany as well, done well in Bulgaria. So uh, there are books that 
also have smaller landmarks. Like when I was with my last publisher, I wrote a book called Dream a Little Dream, where the hero had narcolepsy, which for anyone who doesn't know, is a neurological condition. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uncontrolled sleep 24 seven. Um, people make jokes about it and it's not funny. I, this idea came into my head that I would give the hero, um, Dominic, narcolepsy. And um, somebody helped me, uh, cut a long story short, partly because his name was Dominic. And um, it was was 10 years old, that book now, because the memory just came up on Facebook. But that taught me to write about bigger issues. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd written about really big issues that that there have been you know people having family problems and custody problems and stuff like that but it was a bit more expected things I hadn't learned to think so much out of the box and that book taught me to deal with big issues sensitively because I had it read twice by this friend um, who has narcolepsy and then I went and spoke at the Narcolepsy UK conference, which was scary. I learnt a lot about sensitivity around big subjects as well. So in a way, although that didn't have, it wasn't such a massive success because it was with a much smaller publisher, so it wouldn't get in the supermarkets or anything. It was a big personal success. I'm still proud of that book, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Um, because because I learned something so big from it. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's great to sort of have a talk about these sort of things that don't get in the don't get in stories very often, you know, like a like a, a lesser known disease or yeah. or problem that people have or yeah. <coughs> disability or learning problem. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good to do that. As long as I can write about it without feeling I've jumped on someone's corns or jumped on their bandwagon. Yes. Yeah, I think you've got to be really careful. Their disease yeah. or 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 yeah. situation for me to make money out of, which isn't the way I look at it. I do the best job I possibly can and I try and illuminate yes. Yeah. certain things. Um like if I can just talk about Under the Mistletoe last year's Christmas book. Mm-hmm. That idea came to me just out of the back of my mind. I I don't know about you, but I have this thing I call my plotty head and it just supplies me with stuff and I can be doing something completely different. And I was just, for some reason, just remembered this thing that had taken place when I was, I was still in senior school, I believe. And, well, I'm sure I was. And um, there was something that happened in the town I was at school in and I don't believe it happened at my school but a girl was humiliated sexually. And I remember it was in the local paper. And I remember this middle-aged man saying, well, surely that was just horseplay that got out of hand. And even at about 15, I thought, that's not right. That's not how we should be looking at that. And now we're a lot more enlightened and it was quite clearly a sexual assault. Um, So I changed that because just that doesn't fit into what I write. But so I changed, but it was that basic situation of bullying with a sexual element. And so then I just made it as tricky as I possibly could for the heroine, uh, because that's what I do, put them through the tortures of hell before rescuing them, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so anything is is fair game as long as it's treated appropriately for my books. Yeah, you know, the whole attitude to art. 
you know, to what sex is and what's appropriate and all that kind of thing has, has greatly changed. I'm glad to say mostly, in, you know, in favour of the woman being safe and, and being happy. Brilliant. Um, how many Christmas books have you got? I've got a little list here. Have you got one, um, two, three, four, five, six, seven? That sounds right. Without About seven, without, yes. Without yep. getting the list up on my computer or going and yeah, counting yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a little list here. The seven, the seven. <laughs> I've written them down because I'm thinking which one shall I read? Have, have you got a White Christmas on Winter Street on the list? Is yes, yes. That's the that newest right. one. Yes, it's this year's book. Is Christmas a really big deal in your house? Is is it a really favourite time of year for you? It certainly used to be when the children were small. Yeah, uh, we made a big deal about it. Uh, we would we weren't particularly well off. Um, we would go without Christmas presents or have something really tokenish, give the kids, you know, what we could. Like I remember the year when they got Game Boys um, and that that was very tough financially, but that's what they really, really wanted, you know. And so um, we made it work and um, handmade gifts and, and stuff oh, like yes. that. I, I made um, my daughter some. Uh, rag dolls out of my husband's vest and some material that I had because we had I had no money for Christmas presents when the kids were little yeah. and they they were yeah. fine and they still got yeah. them yeah in fact I'm sitting in one of my children my kids have grown up now but yeah. the, you know there's there's one of them's up here on the shelf still and they, they kept oh, it and it's, yeah and it was it was just there was a, a a free pattern in a magazine to make a dolly and I thought yeah. that's what I'll do and I made yeah. I made these dollies and um, yeah you know and and I don't think it matters don't I don't think it's about the money side you know sometimes oh, no, it's particularly about, not when yeah. the children are small so we used to we used to have a little tradition I nicked it from somebody else um, who said but in the afternoon I always kept a present back and it was always something for them to share mm-hmm. and um, so in the afternoon when perhaps they were a bit tired and they might be inclined to fall out over a present we would suddenly find this present oh look Santa dropped a present behind the sofa and yes. it would like, start everything off again. Or if we went out for Christmas lunch to my brother's house or something, then they'd come back and find it. Santa, you know, one of us would make an excuse. Oh, oh I've forgotten to check if I've turned this off and go back and put it under the tree. So when they came back, there was this other Magical present. So, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we will, we still managed to spread Christmas over several days. So we have now um, quite a quiet Christmas day. But then on Boxing Day, we go to my husband's family and there's like 20 of us. And then a couple of days later, we have my family. It's either here or at my brother's. uh, And people come from the South Coast and whatever. And there's about 20 of us. And so we have these like three Christmas days, really. Um, And then we always try and because we, well, my husband's retired now. But prior to that, we always tried to have like the whole of Christmas off from Christmas Eve, maybe till the 2nd or 3rd of January, something like that. And so we will slot in all those days, time to see friends, just if it's to go maybe to Costa and have coffee without a time pressure and to feel you don't mind having a few extra calories because it's Christmas and you'll worry about it in January. So we always, we have kind of a Christmas week, even if some days are quieter than others, we do go for the whole you know, not exactly yeah. 12 days. It's not far off the 12 days of Christmas, actually. Um, perhaps not the same ones, but, you know, quite a lot of Christmassy days. Uh, for me, it's all, all about the decorations. I just love really? the whole decoration thing. My yeah. house is looks like, a, I don't know, a grotto. Really? You see, although I, I write about that, 
my own house, perhaps I'm a bit lazy, tends to be a lot more minimal and like strings of baubles hanging from lights and stuff rather than a big Christmas tree and a, a small glass Christmas tree. I've three got. three full size Christmas trees. Yeah. You need to come. To, you, you need to come to me I soon. Give you some ideas yeah. for your book. Excellent. I have like a Excellent. massive twelve footer in the lounge. Another one wow. in the kitchen. Some outside in the thing. Yeah, all fabulously tasteful. And oh. and uh, my daughters are like really artistic. And if they pitch up as on the lead up to Christmas. Um, and I've got that. I've got so many decorations. I have boxes in different colours. You're like huge, great big, <laughs> like stacker boxes, the really big ones that you buy in Ikea. And so we decide what colour scheme we're going to go for. And then wow. we, we bring it all down and we decide, oh, we're wow. having red and gold. Are we going to go pinks? Is it going to be whites? Is it big? I mean, literally crazy, you know. And, and so, I want to write this idea down. Yeah, just, yeah, that's I'm it. That's how. Next, yeah. Yeah. So I have, uh, yeah, and if I see it, one of your stories, I think that's my Christmas. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you do you make any? I've just been asked to write. Um, yes, for, my, for the Daily Mirror about making decorations. So I've just uh, been ideas around with the publicist. Ah, uh, well, we we sometimes print off um, sheet music uh, with carols on, and then uh, make paper chains with them. So that's that's quite a thing. And my daughters always make I'm these great this down now. Yes, my daughters always make these great big um, stars, which I don't know how you do them, but they, we make them out of paper. But one of my daughters makes these amazing. Um, you know, when you cut snowflakes, you fold the paper yeah, to get children yeah. to it. But my my older yeah. daughter cuts these snowflakes, and they are works of art. And we stick them all over the glass windows on the end of the kitchen which is like all glass at one end. And we have yeah. like like 50 of them with just these great big snowflakes cut out. But they're, they're so amazingly intricate. And she also puts in like little motifs when she's cutting them. So when she opens them out, um, it might have a little whippet in there or it might have a candle or, you know, they're, they're like, they're amazing. Yeah, I can't do them. Yeah, she's yeah. very clever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, I've seen some of the sheet music um, baubles where people have shredded either sheet music or pages out of books, and then they put them. You can buy those empty. I'll say glass. They're not glass. You know, see through baubles. Yeah. And children can make their own ornaments to put inside. And in I've seen those filled with shredded book or shredded. Um, uh, sheet music and they look really nice yes yeah yeah I think there's something I think there's something very pretty about note notation musical yes, notation yeah yeah I quite like I it agree. yeah so so yes it's it's great so do come and visit yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on the south coast you're very welcome one of my brothers at the same yeah. time and we always have a massive wreath on the door because my sister's a florist Right. So she's she sort of shown me how to make those really big, fabulous wreaths with loads yeah. of things in it, like bells and fur cones and all that kind of thing. So yes. So yeah, absolutely. I'm. I feel I have, quite Christmassy now. <laughs> in, um, under the mistletoe, I have a character who makes compostable wreaths. So that's one yeah. of the things I'm doing for this paper as well. So you can you can make the circlet out of hazel or willow yeah. or even amazingly clematis you, you uh -huh. just have to do more circles to do bits of clematis yeah. and then if you use jute string to tie the holly and nuts and whatever into bunches um then it's it's compostable yeah my sister's all about that exactly and it's it's just a great 
great way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Well, we're nearly out of time, Sufa. So thank you for joining me. You're welcome. On, on the podcast. Myself. Where can people find you online, Sue? So my website is www.suemorecroft.com. And Moorcroft, for anybody, because there is more than one spelling, is M-O-O-R-C-R-O-F-T. Or they can find me on Twitter, at Sue Moorcroft, Instagram, at Sue Moorcroft Author, um, and Facebook, Sue Moorcroft Author. And I'm kind of on TikTok. Well, lovely to talk to Sue about all her stuff, and I hope you're feeling a bit more Christmassy. I know I am now. Anyway, uh, next week, my guest is Mandy Baggett. And Mandy Baggett is also a romance author, and she has also a Christmas book out, and so we'll be talking a little bit more about Christmas, and uh, I hope you'll join me for that. Okay, so, happy days. Uh, I wonder if Twitter made it. We shall have to see. (laughs) Interesting stuff. Anyway. Thanks for listening. This has been the Words and Pictures podcast and I'm DJ Bowman Smith and you can find me at www.djbowmansmith.com and across all those social media platforms, as I mentioned earlier. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.